So today is the sixth week of our vision series, and I get to end the series here with y'all, which I'm excited about. I've been sharing this message with the other Colossae churches, and I'm told it's really good. (laughs) So here it comes. If you have not been around for all of it or you're new, what our vision series is, is that we've taken six weeks to talk about six values that we as pastors and elders of the Colossae Church Collective really believe are important, especially given on the one side God's truth and on the other side the world and the culture that we live in. So these are values that we understand from the Word of God are high on God's list and also very uh, applicable to the times in which we live. And so those are, hey, help me out, you've heard five of them. So what are those Six values. Generosity, very good. Hospitality. Celebration. Collaboration, kingdom collaboration. Collaboration. What else? What? Community, that's today. And gospel rootedness. You see, as a team, we're good, right? This is what community is all about. None of you remembered all six. Or maybe you did. But collectively, we got them all. So today is community, so let's jump into it. All right. A lot of really good sermons begin in Genesis, so we're just going to start there because that's where good sermons begin. And I just want to highlight a couple of things for you. In Genesis chapter 1, creation story, uh, iteration number 1, because there are two iterations of the creation story, in the first one it says this. Then God said, let us make humans, make mankind in our image after our likeness. And what I want to emphasize obviously here is the plurality of the pronouns, us and our. This is God before he's created any being other than animals potentially. And yet he's saying to someone other than himself, let us Make humans in our image after our likeness. Centuries later, through the study of scriptures and and knowing what we have come to know, we call this us and our, the Trinity, a word that is not in the scriptures and a term and an idea that wasn't that clearly spoken in the scriptures. But as we study them and as we understand the larger story, we know that God is, in fact, three persons somehow and yet one God. And the deeper you get into the scriptures, the more you see these three at play. But even here at creation, if you read the story carefully and you watch, you see Father, Son, and Spirit all involved in creation. Paul refers to details of the creation story as well. Talks about the Spirit hovering over the water. And it says all things were created by and through Jesus. So somehow these three were together at the time. One of the beautiful and powerful things about this is to be created in God's image. In fact, let's keep going to another passage of Scripture. Actually, before we do that, Jeremy, let's take a look at this. So, 550 years ago, the Scriptures were not available to everybody. Very few people were literate, and very few uh, scrolls or manuscripts of the Scriptures were available. You had to be stinking rich to be literate and to have a copy of the Scriptures. So a lot of teaching was done through art. And one of those forms of art is icons. And icons were painted to depict theological realities so that as you sat in mass and you looked at that icon, you could learn from it. It would be like listening to a sermon, but instead you observe and meditate on an icon for a while 
and see what's there. So let's practice that skill a little bit. Somebody want to hit the second button from the left there on the switches. Thanks, Jonathan. So you can see it a little better. Let's do a little uh, theological interpretation. What can you learn? This is called the Trinity. What can you learn about the reality of the Trinity from this icon? Share what you see. Good. Let's keep it simple. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. God is. Yeah. What do you think this is significant of? The fact that these two characters on the left are looking toward the one together on the right. Yes. Some level of submission. So, what you know from Scripture, how would you interpret that? Who would that be on the left? Yeah. The Scriptures would seem to say. That there's a sense in which the Father knows things the Son doesn't know. That both Son and Spirit were sent by God. So there's some sense of command from the Father, right? Yeah. Jonathan, what were you saying? It's, uh, it's irrelevant. Okay, okay. <laughs> so either it was that or you had heresy that I just corrected, right? <laughs> it looks like from here, like, down. Yes, also true. No, no, that's, that's special. Why, why is even the father's head tilted towards the other two? What does that teach you? They're in communion with one another. Yeah, absolutely. There is, you remember it says in Ephesians to the church, let everyone submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we see here in the Trinity, there's a mutual submission towards one another. Right? Yeah. What else? Tony. Holiness or divinity, absolutely. Yeah. They're sharing a meal. What does that signify? Yeah. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah. What does blue tend to represent? Sorry? Royalty. Yeah. That could be, I don't even know. We're just guessing at the colors now. Spirit. Yeah. Sorry? Could be, yeah. This would be worth Googling. I'm surprised nobody's on it already. Mary always has blue. Yeah. Any really good Catholics in the room that have an answer that you're not sharing? No? Okay. Jonathan's Googling. Thank you. They're all holding staffs. Yeah. They do. They all have wings. Now we're getting out there. What's the building and the tree in the back? Great questions. Yeah. You guys are going deep now. Just, this is interesting too. This little piece is really hard to understand what happens. And they've done some testing on it. And they think there may have been some adhesives there. And one, one speculation was that there was actually a mirror mounted on the icon here so that you would see your own face. Just as, as being invited into the Trinity? Heavenly grace. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Jesus is wearing kind of your typical crimson, thinking of blood, right? Uh, the Father is wearing a fairly transparent um, outer garment. So anyway, yeah. Uh, by what I said, primarily the color. The other giveaway is if you look at the right hand of Jesus, he's holding his hand like this, 
And in most icons that are of the Christ, he is doing that. You've seen him stand like this. This is sign language for Christ. So the letters of, of Christ are being symbolized by the way he's holding his hand. They are. Absolutely. You guys have a lot of work to do because you've asked some amazing questions and made some great observations. Yeah, I would love to know what those things mean, and maybe we can over time. Bottom line, the church throughout its history has understood that God is three, that God is a community. And so let me suggest this to you. Let's go back to the scriptures. God is community is the conclusion here. And let's go back to Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and we'll read one more part. God created humans, mankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What I want to suggest to you is that being created in the image of God isn't just an individualistic thing where every human is mind, will, and emotion and like God in that way. But in that God is plural, God created human to be plural. And so we honestly aren't complete in our creation in the image of God if we're not together. Not just male and female, but simply to be together as humans is to be like God. So our like-godness isn't just who we are as a being. It's who we are when we are together with others. I w- I'm suggesting that the scriptures are saying that we are not fully the image we were created to be if we are alone. That we are most fully imaging God when we are together. And again, in this instance, there were only two, male and female, but I wouldn't limit it to the idea of marriage. I would say that in friendship, in a small group, in a community, same thing. That we are only fully human and fully imaging God when we are not alone. And this is why, if we keep going to the next scripture... God just says outright, then the Lord God said, it is not good that a human, or in this case, Adam, should be alone. I will make him a suitable, a helper fit for him. I like to use the word ally here, but a helper, an ally who is fit for him. So I'm going to round out my image by making a second human. And as they are together, they represent the image of God. And so this allows us to make the statement that community is who we are. We are most fully alive and we are most fully functioning as image bearers when we are not alone. And if you think about this, it's really emphasized in the New Testament. Jesus said, where two or three of you gather, there I am. So there's this added value given to humans being together. There's a sense of the presence of Jesus in each one of us through the Holy Spirit when we are alone, but there's this added sense of his presence when two or three of you have gathered in my name. It also says in the scriptures that if you ask, if two or three of you ask anything in my name, I will do it for you. So there's a strong emphasis that Jesus gives to our strength and our fullness when we are with others. And that's really what we are emphasizing today in this idea of community. Now... Why do we resist community? Great question, Rick. (laughs) We resist it because we are fallen. We are broken. So not only are we as people broken, but our community, our interactions, our sense of being together is broken. So we have already in our lifetimes experienced 
the danger and the woundedness and the hurt that can happen when we are with other humans. For some people, it even becomes easier to not be with other humans because it's the only safe space one might be able to find is simply to be by myself. And so sin and brokenness has made community sometimes dangerous, sometimes hurtful, and that's accurate, but Jesus came not only to take care of individual righteousness, but relational righteousness. Jesus came not just to make us individually right before the Father. He came to make us right with each other so that we could stop experiencing brokenness and start experiencing more rightness in the way we relate to one another. Now, this isn't complete, right? We're still now and not yet, but this is the invitation. So through Christ, we are invited back into better relating, better connection, better human development. And to what end? Let's keep going into uh, the book of John. What I want to move to now is purpose. What is supposed to be the experience of humans in community? And believe it or not, I think we can answer the, the highest answer to that question, why community, is simply one word. And we're going to find it in here. As the Father has loved me, so I, Jesus, have loved you. Disciples, abide in my love. If you keep my commands, if you keep the instructions I've given, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's instructions, commands, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. I want to really ask you to think about and capture this today. Most often, when we talk about the work of Jesus and what he made right, we make a huge emphasis on justification, of being made acceptable again, and of sin being taken away. And we can stay so much on those ideas that it's very somber and it's very legalistic and it's very, uh, it feels kind of like we're in a courtroom to say Jesus came to, to resentence us, not to death, but to life, not to guilt, but to freedom. Completely true. But Jesus is emphasizing something very different here. He's saying the main reason that I came back to bring you together was so that my joy may be in you. How much do we talk about that? He's saying the primary reason I came is the Father and I and the Spirit experience this perpetual funness and goodness and happiness and joy. And you don't have that anymore. And I've come back to give it back to you. I have come. He doesn't say so that your sins may be forgiven and you may be declared righteous and get a new report card, though that is true. And though he says that. But the deepest motivation from the heart of Jesus, I have come that the joy that I have as God, I want to give to you as one created in the image of God. Jesus' goal in reconciliation ultimately is joy. Joy. Like, life is good. And when you wake up in the morning, you... We're meant to wake up with expectation and go, I wonder what's going to happen today. I'm going to be with people. I love people. I'm going to be with my favorite people. I don't have none who are not favorites anymore because Jesus has fixed everything. Okay, that's an overstatement, but you get the idea. You get the idea. Jesus says, my people ought to be joyful because they're alive and because they get to be together. 
And that, that's just kind of it, right? This feels so countercultural to Christian culture right now. I just feel like, when did we get so serious? And when did it become so heavy to be a Christian? Jesus says, my yoke is light. My burden is easy. We did it backwards, but it's the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Joy, that's the point. Joy, let's keep going. So John, many years later, as an apostle of Jesus, reiterates the same thing. So he says, that which we have seen, Jesus, and heard, the words of Jesus, we proclaim also to you, next generation of disciples, so that you too may have fellowship, community, with us, and indeed, our community is with the Father, And with his son, Jesus, remember the mirror may be in the icon. You belong at that table. I'm inviting you to that table. We are writing these things so that your joy may be complete. Not just so that your bad record can be expunged. True, but not the heart, not the motivation and not the drive. The drive is joy. The drive is joy. Let's go on to Hebrews chapter 12. And I want to think about this in maybe a little bit of a new way. The writer says, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, our, all that we believe, all that we trust, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Based on everything that we've been looking at, what is the joy that was set before Jesus that gave him the courage to say yes to the cross? What's the joy specifically? Jonathan? Yeah. Yeah. I love the way you said the joy of us. I mean, that sounds amazing and not right, but it is. Right? First of all, obviously, there was reconciliation with the Father. You remember on the cross, Jesus said, Jesus said to the Father of the Trinity, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was what Jesus was agonizing over in the garden, was not physical torture alone, but more so to be separated from a part of himself he had never, ever in eternity been separated from. My God, my God, Father, why are you distancing yourself from, why are you breaking fellowship? Why are you breaking community with me? That's never happened. This is too painful. I was created for unity and joy. I created, (laughs) I exist as God for unity and for joy. That's, the joy was a reunification with Father and Spirit. And now the inclusion of the human race that was intended from the beginning, but broke right after the first two showed up. So Jesus is so full of joy because for the first time in human reality, more than two people get to participate in the community of the divine. That my joy may be in you. As I have obeyed the Father... I'm in one with him. Now you follow me, obey me, and be one with me. Jesus is inviting us into this tremendous, and there's really no better word, but community of joy and oneness. 
The conclusion is we are fulfilled in community. There is a lot of joy to be experienced when we finally are united with God through Jesus Christ. And some of you probably could tell that story of the joy that entered your soul when you finally said yes to following Jesus. Anybody remember that joy right now? Like, if you think about it a little bit, you can go, yeah, I remember a sense of peace and joy and relief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Larry, what was that like? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, well said. I'm sorry if not all of you. Can you hear okay? Pretty much? Yeah, good, good. Absolutely. Well said. Yeah, and there's layers to this. Like, this, nothing's new today. Maybe fresh ways of seeing it. It's being said a little different, but we, we're constantly learning this our entire life. Absolutely. But, man, is it worth it? Man, is it worth it? Yep. So, I want to move on. Uh, quickly to some practicalities because what we've said is kind of ethereal. It sounds good, you know, and we would agree with it, but what could that look like on a daily basis? And so what I have here for you to look at just briefly is I've taken all of the ways that Paul would describe what communities in Christ should be doing with each other. So throughout his letters, he writes near the end of every letter some super practical things. He said, be devoted to one another, encourage one another, spur one another on. He says all these things that are the verbs of the action of community that we can be involved in. And I know it's too much to look at them all at once, but I just want you to look at them with me and maybe look for one or two that would be particularly powerful for you or that you would say, I'm actually good at that. I actually love that. So here's they are. The experiences of community in Christ are devotion, honor, harmony, freedom from condemnation, acceptance, instruction, hospitality, concern, like-mindedness, encouragement, Support, help, kindness, compassion, worship, cooperation, forgiveness, mutual interest, 
affirmation, inspiration, honesty, vulnerability, openness, and prayer. Imagine that that was a description of every human interaction that you were created for. The idea is that each human interaction ought to be characteristic of at least one of those ideas. This is what we were wired for. This is what produces joy and unity, is live, real-time experience of some of those, all of those, whatever is needed in the moment. This is God's definition of the interaction of what he would love to happen constantly and every day in the community of his children. Just a couple of quick thoughts. Which, which one of these for you is particularly palpable or exciting or even something you're gifted to, to inspire? Tony. A combination of two stands out to me as, as critical to me, and that's vulnerability and acceptance. Vulnerability and acceptance. Okay. The little bit I know of you, too, I have a feeling that your story makes those particularly desirable. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because most of us experienced at some point early on a lack of acceptance. <clears throat> All of us somehow were kind of chased into the idea of I'm not enough and I need to be different than I am, particularly around middle school <laughs> or earlier. Yeah, we want to be vulnerable, but it's dangerous. We want to be vulnerable in hopes that it would lead to acceptance, but sometimes it doesn't, right? Yeah, absolutely. Anybody else? Tammy. Prayer and hospitality together. Yeah, why? Yeah. Yeah, so you're finding purpose in those experiences. Yeah, probably you're gifted for those, right? Yeah, so when we're, when we're living out our, our gifting, good. Yeah, Diane? Yep. Yeah, our brokenness has taken us a long way away from all of this idea. Yeah. In fact, let's move on from what you just said to talk about this. So community is our calling. It's what we're invited to. It's our vocation. We all have a lot of different ways that we express vocation, purpose, the way we spend our days. But community is definitely to be a part of everyone's vocation. Whether it's community at work or at home or in the marketplace or where you play, 
Community is what we're called to do together. Everything else is either context or resource towards community. Humanly, we've turned that around. And we've said, I'm going to have people around me to be part of the story that I want to live in. And humans are going to become assets to what I want to experience. That's not what God intended. That's abuse. And that's use. And that's manipulation. And that's relationships of exchange rather than of love. So we turn that around. But the calling was originally that no matter what you're doing, all of it is context and resource for experiencing relationship. So in other words, the main reason ideally you're at work is actually to connect with the people you're at work with and to have friendship with them and to be purposeful in their lives. There's no way that's the reality of our culture. <laughs> in fact, toxic environments, that's the opposite. We're just, I'm just here to make a paycheck, but if I had a choice, I would not be here. That is like the opposite of what you were created for. That's what the, and, I, and I, granted, we live in a broken world, and that won't be perfected in this life. But God has called you to, to, so, to unity and oneness. Back to what uh, Diane said, what needs to die in us uh, as we participate in community. Just two things I want to highlight. There are so many. But I would say one of the biggest ones in our culture is we have to die to individualism. Our uh, consumer culture really wants us to be individualistic because we will buy more stuff if we're individualistic. If, if I can make something that's customizable so that you all want something different and I make sure that every one of you will buy one, I am way ahead of the game as a, as a, a consumer. And so individualism thrives in consumerism and vice versa. And yet uh, Paul said, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Um, and this is where it's tough to, to form community today. So many of us want community and we believe everything we've just said but then we get into the details and we try to make it happen like for six years I I was a communities pastor and so I was always trying to help people form community formal community and the details killed us every time we just couldn't submit to each other's schedules and preferences about what we would do when we met and when we would meet and what time of day and where we would meet all those details killed us constantly because of our individualism. It's like, I just don't want it. The way I do it and the way you do it don't intersect ever. <laughs> so it's not going to happen. So more that communities didn't happen than did happen in that process. You know, you'd have a meeting and you'd have 200 people and you'd have a potential 15 communities all, yeah, let's do this. It's going to work. And then you'd spend two weeks on details. And at the end, three communities would actually start just because, oh, so many things that we're unwilling to submit to. And to cause things to work out. The other thing I believe that we need to die to is busyness. We have just filled up our lives with a lot of stuff. And then, and then it, this is the hardest part, we become a slave to a schedule that actually was our doing. And, and then so then we're kind of a victim and like, yeah, I'm too busy. I got a lot going on. I wish I didn't. And sometimes I think, well, you could make your wish come true. <laughs> we have a ton of freedom in this culture to actually set our own schedules, to say no and yes to the right things. So this is written in Hebrews, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. I believe we have the greatest potential to experience the fullness of community primarily with other Christians, obviously, because we share the same values. We share the same activities, the same verbs. 
ought to be our action. So obviously with believers, healthy believers, growing believers, that's our best bet. And the most available believers are in this room to you. you you've chosen to meet with them weekly, at least, on a Sunday. Or I guess right now it's 1.4 times a month on average. But anyway, <laughs> that's not the point. The point is, <clears throat> where does the gathering together as Christians fit in our schedules? If this is truly what God is, what you are created for, where your fulfillment lies... And what you've been called to, where does it fit in my schedule? I'll just leave that alone. (laughs) But if you think about it, haven't we allowed ourselves to be victims of a culture and a lifestyle that really has gutted life? And that has gutted what God has intended. And we're, we're, a lot of us are just kind of going along default with, yeah, this is our culture and this is the way it is. And we have more discretionary time than, and money than anyone on the planet, but I choose to live this life. And I, I wonder how much of the life you're living is the life you really want to live. And is it, is it in the space of community? I wish we could talk, but we need to keep going. Community is both our origin, what we were created for, and it's our destiny. There will be a day, thank God, when the fullness of everything we've talked about will be lived every day. Every day. When brokenness is gone, when all unrightness is gone and everything is made right, there will be a day when everything we've just discussed will be daily life. And that's super good news. No one is smiling. Smile. Yes, that's exciting. That's exciting. And second piece of good news, through Jesus, there's a lot of it that is and can happen now. Because in Jesus, it's it's possible. He not only reconciled us legally before God, but he reconciled us inwardly in our hearts and in our minds and he invites us to meet together. Think for just a minute about the early church. Do you realize this is what was going on with them? It says they met together every day from house to house and in the temple courts. Somehow they got it right away. Once they understood salvation isn't just for me, it's for us. They were like, man, yesterday was amazing. Can we get together again tomorrow? Yeah, let's do it. Wow, today was amazing. Can we get together tomorrow? Yeah, let's do it. I could say that a lot, and I wouldn't be wrong. It just kept going on and on and on. And I remember we've experienced this a little bit. I remember we met a new couple, and Trisha and I and the kids just had such a fun night with them. We said, gosh, this is great. I don't want to end. And they said, hey, do you want to spend the night? And we were pretty young and pretty flexible, and we went, sure. So we put all four of our kids down with their four kids in their bedrooms, and we slept on the couch, and we woke up in the morning, and we kept going. And we went to the store, and we made breakfast, and we had an amazing day together. It was this idea of just this perpetual community that we have been created for. And, uh, and I just have it in my heart, and I'm sure you do. This is what I really hope and desire that we are moving towards as a church. That what I'm describing is, is our eventuality. That the things we're working hard at and the things that we're doing in small groups and in our households and our families is that we are moving to this now for so many reasons. Number one, for your joy. Number two, for your fulfillment. Number three, so that the people around us would go, why are those people having so much fun? Why is there joy in that person's life? 
why are they looking forward to getting together with other people instead of being alone and getting drunk? That's who we're called to be. In fulfilling community, we will be fulfilling the call of God and we will be tremendous witnesses to our entire culture. One more piece of good news. We're already doing this. You're already doing this. I'll leave it to you to decide how well and if you're doing it as well as you want to. But hey, we're already doing this, aren't we? Yeah? Isn't it happening? Yeah. It does get slowed down and we do get distracted a lot. And I'm not sure where you're at right now in the season of life you're in. But if you're not in the middle of joy and community, I want to invite you to consider maybe quitting some things. And maybe letting go of some things. And I, I want to invite you back into the depth of regular community and the depth of joy that ought to be the experience in that community. This is what we were created for. Right? I'm experiencing it. You're experiencing it. I visited every one of your communities. That's what happens. We could probably do more of the things on that list. We do. There's a lot of weather and sports and how's it going with your kids, which is good. <laughs> but there's also encouragement and prayer and spurring one another on. And those things are kind of hard for us to get to, but I believe we'll get to them. I'm going to pass around during worship some three-by-five cards and some pens. It says joy on one side of the card. And on the other side, what I want you to do is write down that one thing that you saw on that list of activities that you would like to do more of. Ideally, I'd love for you to think about how can you write down uh, vulnerability and acceptance and then give yourself a way to give that gift away this week. That's what you wanted. So if it says love one another as you would be loved, (laughs) do for others what you would have do for them, how can you write acceptance and vulnerability down, and then give it as a gift this week to someone in your household, somebody in your community group, someone at work. But let's practice very specifically this week giving away an activity of community. Are you guys up for that? I know we're going to be singing and doing, and kids are here now, but I know you guys can multitask. Husbands, maybe your wives can do this for you. Oh, that was bad. I'm sorry. I lost the Holy Spirit filter at the last minute. I got through 35 minutes. Ah. Peter, come on up. Let me pray. We'll get these cards and pens around to you. Again, you're writing one way to give away the experience of community this week. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we, uh, we thank you for reminding us today about what you experience perpetually, joy. And we thank you, Jesus, that we know what that means. It's not a dream, and it's not outside of what we have experienced. Thank you, Jesus, for the joy that we've already experienced. And we accept your invitation as a church today uh, to let our joy become more full. And so we ask you, Jesus, would you lead us away from a lesser life that is busy but not fulfilling, and from lesser activities that are productive but not full of joy. We want more of what you have taught us. We want more community. We want more life. 
you came for it. So would you show us as a church, show us as people as we consider right now, what does it look like, Jesus, for each one of us to say yes to more community, to less brokenness? Lead your church, Jesus. Make us like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. three or four songs now that are all very appropriate for communion. And so you could go to the tables just about any time over the next three songs together with friends or family. And again, let's celebrate the idea that Jesus has made this joy possible through his death and through his resurrection. Thank him for taking care of sin and brokenness and making us right, not only as individuals, but as community, making us right again. Praise you, Jesus.